Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Hello, Final Girl. Hello, Final Girl. How are you tonight? Oh, you know, so it's Wednesday night in Nashville. We've had snow, ice, and sleet since Saturday. And uh, we've all been stuck inside, like more inside and more stuck than ever in the last year. And um, it's been a trying week. But um, now we're just going to slide down that ice hill to the weekend. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) sled into the weekend. (laughs) Yes, we are going to sled into the weekend. I like that. And I've been thinking a lot, actually, about how how is my level of insideness this week really any different than my normal level of, of insideness? Yeah. (laughs) Except that before, I at least had the option to go out, and I simply chose not to. (laughs) Whereas, before yesterday, um, when my boyfriend and I discovered that my car has pretty awesome traction, I guess it's front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, we were were able to get out, so we went to the grocery store. And he's been out several times in addition so we can get out. Of course, it's snowing again. So Wednesday night, like the snow has started again, and it's supposed to continue, and right. it's just gonna probably re-ice everything. And oh gosh darn, I might not be able to get my taxes done on Friday like I planned. Yeah, uh, it would be a huge loss there. But I am kind of wanting to get it done. So it would have been a good adult win, uh, but you know. Our daycare has been sending us emails every day like, nope, we're closed tomorrow. Nope, we're closed tomorrow. And that, uh, you know, I expected that. This morning they said, we're closed again due to, you know, an abundance of caution. And we hope that Thursday we'll be able to open again. And I was like, y'all are giving us false hope. I don't want any of it. Please do not tell me these things because, like, don't give me the fault. Like, on Monday, Max and I were like, that's okay. This is just going to be a week without childcare. Every, you know, thousands, millions of families have been doing it for the past year. We've been really lucky. We can make it through a week. And um, I did go out of the house today because. I was like, Max, you know, we got a window of about an hour. I don't have a meeting for until one o'clock. It's 12 o'clock right now. Our neighbors just left. Like I just saw them come back from the grocery store. Like I could go to the grocery store right now. And he's like, well, what do we need? And I was like, we could use bread. We could use milk. And he's like, no, we don't really need any of those. And I was like, what we really could use is a box of wine. And he was like, yes, yes, we could use that. And I was like, you know what? All of these things that I've been saying we could need, I know that we don't need because I'm just trying to get myself out there to get a box of wine. I just, I need, I, 
I need an excuse to get a box of wine to get me through this hell of a childcare week. It's gonna yes, be okay. And I procured uh, a a box of wine <laughs> yesterday as well. <laughs> and um, I'm very glad that I did. I'm very and the grocery store was nuts, as you can imagine. <sighs> One of my favorite jokes in Tennessee is when there's snow or ice in the forecast, it's go to the store, get to the grocery store, buy milk and bread. They're sold out of milk and bread. Everybody's eating milk sandwiches for the next week. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm the same way. My thing is because it's usually like milk, bread, and eggs. And I'm like, why do people want French toast when there's an ice storm? Like, yeah. why do you need those? <laughs> get cinnamon too. You might as well get cinnamon while you're in it. Salmon. That's really great. I didn't even think of that. That it's milk, eggs, and bread. Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, it's a French toast apocalypse. <laughs> I don't know. Oh well. Um, I mean, I think uh, that it's absolutely appropriate that we watch this movie this week while everybody is even more inside and those of us with children are even more parents uh, spending much more time as parents than we had been um because yes and the and the this film that Tamara is referring to is Prevenge and we'll do we'll do our we'll do our normal backpedal that we do yeah yeah hello yeah. I'm Lori <laughs> Jesus, you're... Oh my gosh. Hi, I'm Tamara. And this is Dear Final Girl. We're literally six minutes in. Yes, where we take your letters and we answer them. We answer your concerns through the lens of a horror movie that we feel fits the bill. Yeah. So... I, I, I did, I like actually did some, some like extra research this week. I'm so proud of you. Uh, and I, I'm excited to hear this. Um, the, this is such an interesting movie. Um, and such an interest, well, I'm interested in the topic, but I, I don't you know it's one near and dear to my heart not not slaying people I don't that's not near and dear to my heart but the <laughs> the uh issues of um being a mom in this world I'm a working mother what does she say I'm a working mother I'm doing the I'm best a working I can mother. she's she's a homicide her her primary job is killing people. <laughs> yeah. so the movie is Prevenge. It is about a homicidal pregnant woman. Uh, the film came out in 2016. Um, the writer, director, and lead actress is Alice Lowe. Um, she has she has worked consistently since 2005, just in various roles. She's directed and/or written a number of film shorts. 
Um, and so this film hit the the festivals. And when you see the movie poster of it, or at least kind of like the later movie poster, you see all those little festival quotes, like uh -huh. you know, like like with the little with the little laurels, like what they do at Cannes, you know. Uh -huh. It was definitely a darling of the festivals. And one of the cool things is that this was Shudder's, actually Shudder's first theatrical release. So after the film did well on the festival circuit, Shudder, Shudder acquired the distribution rights. So this film was actually out in theaters, um, which I've been told is kind of the Southern way to say that word, theater. I, I don't know. I don't know another theater. way. Theater. 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 With R-E. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it did, um, it arrived um, to Shudder um, just in time for the Halloween season in 2020, and there was a, a really nice article um, on it from uh, Jess Joho at Mashable, and I'll just read a little bit about it. It'll, it'll serve as kind of a summary of like the core emotional issues <laughs> going on with this film. So we have established that um, the, the main character in this film is a pregnant woman who goes on a killing spree based on what her unborn baby is telling her to do. <clears throat> so the article says that Prevenge uses the genre to immerse viewers in the ridiculous societal expectations imposed on pregnant women. The core of its unsettling horror and humor lies in its brutal dismantling of the myth of motherhood as an innately beautiful, blessed, self-sacrificial, moral good for all women. It doesn't matter who you are before, the minute you're visibly pregnant, the world seems to stop seeing you as a whole human being and instead as a saintly symbol. The idealization of motherhood robs pregnant women of their own identity, personhood, and agency reducing them to a divine vessel for innocent unborn life. Well, it doesn't appear through most of this film that the unborn life is quite that innocent, which we will get into. Um, but that is the perfect setup for this week's letter, which was the reason that we, of course, chose this film. So would you like to read the letter? Absolutely. Um, all right. Dear Final Girl, I am pregnant with our first child due in, 20, in June 2021. While this is welcome news and my husband and I are incredibly excited, the nine months of waiting leave plenty of time for second-guessing myself and concerns for the future. Selfishly, so many of these thoughts are about me and not actually the person I'm growing inside me. Will I lose all of my independence? Will the ability to do what I want when I want be suspended and wholly dependent on feeding schedules and diaper changes? Will my husband ever look at me the same after seeing my pudgy everything and eventually watching me birth a human? Will my friends and family stop caring about me and only care for our child? Am I horrible for thinking these things? Will this kid be as self-centered and horrible as me? Am I already messing up this parenting thing before the baby sees the light of day? I know I'm probably overreacting since obviously people have babies all the time. I can't be the worst mother ever, or can I? Looking for reassurance and advice, Rachel from Nashville. 
Um, I gotta say really quick, I I gotta stop and take my teeth out because I was lisping all over Rachel's letter there. Um, <laughs> my teeth, my my like Invisalign. <laughs> Uh, I've got like the, you know, you you got a mask on in quarantine, so what better time just, to straighten your teeth? <laughs> I just feel like I had a teenage retainer moment with you. <laughs> you it was did. really awesome. <laughs> Slurpy. Tamara, let let it let me reassure the audience that Tamara is not wearing any headgear. Um, I have my I, headgear upstairs. <laughs> I immediately think of Joan Cusack from 16 Candles. <laughs> I think of headgear. It's fantastic. Okay, so Lord. Um, also, so back to the letter. Um, yeah. Rachel, like I, I feel bad because I was giggling at this because. I have had so many of like these exact same thoughts. These are universal thoughts that women uh, go through when, or excuse me, people with uteruses go through when they have children um, or when, and, and also like men, uh, you know, women who are the the partner who is not having the child like all everybody has these thoughts and these feelings and unfortunately i'm gonna say yes to some of these questions i and i think it would be it would be good i don't know if you plan to do this but the specific questions that you would give the yes to um, we, it would be great if you talk if you talk through some of those. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm on a work call. Like I'm totally directing you right now. That's okay. And, Do I it. <laughs> but I think it, I think it would be really cool to establish like what are the questions that you would answer yes to. And I'm guessing that yes isn't necessarily the most reassuring answer. However, I love the way you started it out by saying these are universal feelings. Yeah, they're fears. New mothers and new parents go through. Especially because it's a big change and that change you whether or not it's your decision in the first place, like whether or not you like worked super hard to get pregnant in the first place, like for for us for my son, it took us two years to get pregnant. And so, like, when we finally did get pregnant, it was like a, oh, Jesus, thank God we don't have to, like, keep going through all of the crap, the shit that we had been going through to just get pregnant. This sex aside, the sex is not <laughs> part of that, like, all of the other, like, fertility stuff. Go, no girl. Yeah, but, yes. The ability to do what you want when you want um, will be suspended for a little while, but not forever. So yes, you're gonna be dependent on feeding schedules and diaper changes probably for like three months. And then, you know, if you can sleep train, if you can 
get something, uh, you know, if you can put the kid in daycare a couple of days a week, then, you know, you can buy yourself some freedom. If you have the luxury to buy yourself daycare, uh, that's a, that's a big if, obviously, um, because childcare is expensive. Read my sub stack. Um, <laughs> you will. So Tamara, I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her more, more shout outs and she would probably give herself. So Tamara does have a Tamara. I never call you Tamara. I always call you Tam. Anyway, Tam in my mind. Anyway. That's okay. um, but Tam has a sub stack. Um, that uh, what's it? What's the official name of? Is it, does it have an official name? Yeah, it's called Folded Sunset, which is a line from an Elizabeth Bishop poem about traveling and whatever. But um, or a phrase from an Elizabeth Bishop poem. But you can find it at tamarascott.substack.com. Um, okay, and we will we will include that. We yeah, will yeah. include that in our in our tweets over the coming week but how, so how would you characterize your your substack so it's it's about um my thoughts on living momming working and etc you know just things but a lot of what i write about is being a working mother so uh there are several articles that are up there currently about um the struggles it can take to get your child into daycare. By the way, um, Rachel in Nashville. In Nashville, a wait list for a good daycare can take up to 18 months. So if you want your kid in infant care at three months, um, you can get in as early as six weeks. They'll take a, a child as early as six weeks, but if you or most places do anyways. Um, but if you want to get in at six weeks, three months, you gotta start looking now. Um, thankfully COVID or is making things a little bit looser where um, there's not as many kids in daycare. Um, so you should be able to get, uh, you sh should be able to find good options a little bit better. But anyways, um, no, that's great advice. And I know just from, from, from what I know of Rachel, she, she is a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, from what I know of Rachel, she is, she is super, super on top of this. Right. And good. I, you know, I cannot help but think, you know, that ridiculous question, don't even know if they ask this in job interviews anymore I mean you probably get laughed at if you were actually asked this question where do you see yourself in five years <laughs> the, the amount of, of forethought and planning um, that is required to answer that question um, I can't help think about just the the whole lead in planning all of the all of the lead in planning mm -hmm. before your baby ever goes hey I'm here yeah <laughs> you know? yeah I and, mean I mean yeah. that's one of the most ridiculous things about childcare in this nation right now and a lot of people have written about this a lot better than I have but um, one of the points that I make in one of my articles is that 
pregnancy is nine, sometimes 10 months long, right? And if a childcare wait list is 18 months, you have to get on the wait list nine months before you even want to get pregnant. And so uh, it's just ridiculous. That is like, no, makes no sense. Yeah. What a, what a, what kind of rational system is whatever it's, it's a way for a lot of childcare, um, organizations. Well, excuse me. This is my opinion. Um, (laughs) everything I say is my opinion. Right. Um, but the, I think it's a way for a lot of childcare organizations to get that $75 waitlist money and, uh, yeah, engage their, basically gauge their, their new, try to project new business. Yeah. Their, their business. They've got to, they've, they've got to have their projections and that's a really um, good point. That's something that I hadn't thought of that, that it's a, like a, an audience measurement. Yeah, so taking a step back and, and talking a little bit more about the plot of this film. <laughs> no, let's just yeah. talk about the things that are, no, no, yeah, no, no. Let's I mean, go back to prevention. That's what's great about, I think, and I hope our listeners do too, about our approach is that the, the letter and the issues of the letters we receive in the film, you know, they are intertwined. So we're going back and forth. So, I mean, the plot of this film is actually quite, quite simple. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the lead character, oh my gosh, can't even think of her name right now. I'm the world's worst everything. No, I wrote it down and I can't, because she changes her name, Ruth. Which I should remember because there's a statement later about ruthlessness. Eh. And I was like, ah, okay. So yes, yeah, so Ruth. Also, also, doesn't Ruth in the Bible doesn't Ruth go with her husband's family even after he's died? I am not the resident Bible scholar. Okay. But I know that. But I trust your. <laughs> <laughs> I trust your knowledge on this subject. Bible scholars who are also our listeners, please correct us, and we will. Uh, yeah. uh, dear final girl at gmail.com, please correct us. Um, yes, and you know any any if, if you're if you're particularly academic on this subject, any citations that you want to provide mm-hmm. are always more than welcome. So the plot's pretty basic. Um, Ruth is pregnant her unborn fetus whose whose voiceover we hear throughout this film is encouraging her to kill people um um some of these are direct i think more direct revenge killings others not so much the revenge killing angle comes from the fact and we, we, le- we learn from the beginning of the film that she, she is a widow. Her husband has recently died. He died in a climbing accident where basically the team of climbers, it, it seems pretty clear they took unsafe precautions. They had too many people on a rope at one time and literally the decision was made, somebody's gotta be cut loose and he was cut loose. Um, 
when Ruth's boyfriend died, they were having relationship problems. Um, at least that's what other character. That's what one of the other characters says. Yeah. And we 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 don't actually get. We don't actually hear Ruth's perspective on that, though we sense that it's true. Um. <clears throat> he does not know that she is pregnant. Like literally, she has just found out she's pregnant. He dies. Yep. So at the very beginning of the film, we know that she's pregnant, and we know that there's this huge grief. Or there's there's some level of grief because we don't really get a sense of how Ruth felt about her boyfriend. Like, what what is the what is the what is the depth of her grief? Although I will say this, um, a, you know, in a, there are a number of horror movies where grief is a um, an element. Yeah. And that grief, grief, this is my, this is kind of my thoughts on this, that grief, often that grief will manifest itself in horror films as a haunting. Mm-hmm. So it's a grief that cannot be contained. It hasn't been processed. It's too big to deal with. It's just too much. Right. So it manifests as a haunted house, a ghost, a possession, a feeling of going crazy. And the degree to which, like, are the are all of these things that are happening actually real, or has grief become so outsized that like the hallucinations just feel like they're really happening? So basically, through the course of this film, Ruth's unborn fetus is speaking to her, and um, uh, basically uh, telling her to kill people. Yeah, and she be- she becomes really good at it. quite good at it and there's just kind of underlying message too sort of like the ills of society almost like these are people who deserve to die look at what society does to us look at look at the messages that it sends to us yep look at this mass of unthinking unfeeling insensitive people Uh everybody's gonna be better off you know, just just go for it. And she does many, many times throughout the film. Yes. So I think like let's let's get into a little bit of the the characters that she starts killing because we start with uh the pet shop guy. And I think he has a name, but I don't uh he's got a name at least in the credits, but I didn't write it down. The pet shop guy, she walks in um, and she's like, oh, I'm I'm buying a, a pet, a tarantula, a spider for my eight-year-old son. And she's obviously pregnant. And he's saying, oh, come take a look at my big fat snake. Um, Oh yes, yes. It uh, it looks slimy, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not. It's smooth. Ew. Do you want to touch it? <laughs> yeah. The um, all right, you little bitch, come here. He says to one of the um, tarantulas or something like like he just really. He's just a slimy, skeevy guy, and he's making all these sexual innuendos at Ruth, who says her name is Claire or something. Um, 
but basically, uh, she she's like, this guy's gross, right? Goes in, pulls a knife off of the counter, and slits his throat. This is how basically the oh no, we missed the opening event. The opening event was her seeing his head on the, or the gross brain matter on the ground. Or yes. imagining. Yeah, or imagining. imagining. We know from the beginning she's experienced a loss, right? Right. And then like immediately, I mean, I've, the thing about this film, it starts with a bang. Mm -hmm. It ends with a bang. Like, <laughs> she is the Chekhov's gun. Like, she is the thing <laughs> that is, appears from the very beginning, and she is going to go off right. all throughout this movie. Um, you know, I didn't think that the... So the very first kill is this pet shop guy. She's in there under this ruse. And she's incredibly nervous, and she's positioning the nervousness as like, ooh, I'm just scared of all these creepy crawly things you have. You're showing me lizards uh, and snakes and tarantulas uh -huh. and centipedes. And you think that her nervousness is about all these creepy crawly things. And like, this is actually about to be her first kill. Um, and up to the point where the guy said, that is my big fat snake, don't you <laughs> I was like, I actually liked the guy at first, because uh -huh. I was like, oh, look at this nerdy guy, he's totally into, like, snakes and bugs, <laughs> and he's like, you know, she seems interested, he's interested in the fact that she's interested in learning about these things, or getting something for her kid, and you know, whatever, and then, you know, he gets a little, a little gross, you know, wants to show her his private collection. Ew, of, uh, ew, well. ew, ew, I don't want to ever see anyone's private collection, like, I'm sorry. That is always private, oh, let me show you the things that other people don't get to see, like, I've seen movies where it's like, oh, the dude has like, oh, I've got, well, here's my public art, but I also have these, this private art collection that I'd be happy to show it to you, and it happens to be adorning the walls of my bedroom. I'm sorry, but the, the word private is just one letter off from your privates. I don't want to see your privates. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I never thought. Um, yeah, about no, that. your private collection can stay in your pants. Although the next person that she kills, DJ Dan, did not keep his private collection in her in his pants. She chopped his private collection off. And that's when Max was like, I'm good. I'm walking out. <laughs> He's like, I'm not, this is, I do not want to watch this movie. We watched this on Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I think I watched, I watched it a couple of days later, but yeah. It's, so then this kind of like, so one thing I, one thing I want to say related to the plot is that like she goes along at a pretty good clip killing people oh yeah the next person she kills is this like karaoke dj in this club who um i think with 
all of with a number of these characters with a number of these people that she kills you get like this shadow of what could be real human connection like you uh-huh. do see little glimpses of these people who are like that's a good quality like this isn't an entirely bad person um but then i guess i guess the plot makes it easy for the viewer in that in general most not all but most of the people she kills you know it's kind of like your typical slasher where it's like mm, well is society really losing its most valuable member here <laughs> you know? right right yeah we don't feel super bad about losing a pet shop guy or DJ Dan or um, Ella Harding. Ella Harding. Okay, uh, like, do you want to talk more about DJ Dan? I don't think there's much. He's skeevy '70s guy. She cuts yeah. off his balls the and then. Thing I would say about DJ Dan is like he's her second kill. She basically, he just thinks she's fat. Because he calls her that. Uh, you can't see this yeah, right now, but this is me sighing. <laughs> and takes her back to his pad, which he shares with his mother. Um, so, not only do we have the very rare uh, male frontal uh nudity even though it is just you know kind of chopped off yeah on the ground so not only do we have that which is kind of cool i'm i'm going to say it's cool because there's tons of female nudity in films and not that much male so whenever we get the whenever we get some male frontal it's pretty cool (laughs) the odd cucumber yes the odd cucumber if you will the odd pickle if you will and Ruth, Ruth, you know, already sort of being maternal, except to, she she acts mater, is maternal after she kills the DJ. Yeah, she is very maternal toward the DJ's mother, who lives in the same place. Is start is older and is like you can tell she's kind of not all there. Yeah, she starts a load of laundry for the mother before she leaves the scene of the crime, which is kind of amazing. Are we seeing a foil? The foil, are we seeing you know who she would be if she brought up this baby, the sort of mother who's not all there? who brings up this just sociopathic child who doesn't give a fuck. Uh, you know, what? A, she says at one point, what about love? Doesn't, don't you love anyone? Yeah, I love my mom, what the fuck, you know? Like that sort of thing where it's, it's kind of like, uh, and you, th- at that point, I still thought his parents lived somewhere else. I still thought his mom lived somewhere else. But then, you know, mom stumbles out. Who are you? (laughs) And mother even basically says, you know, my son's a bit of a dick. You're really too good for him. (laughs) Okay, so can we rewind just a second? Because 
there were there were things about well when i first saw the trailer for this i was like oh good goody this is gonna be like Shaun of the dead but for pregnancy horror horror right pregnancy slasher not Shaun of the Dead, not nearly as funny and not meant to be nearly as funny, but this whole scene with DJ Dan gets nearly as funny, especially in the taxi where he's got that wig on his head. It's 70s, kind of an afro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 70s, like, short afro. And he looks at her okay no 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 excuse me back in the bar they're taking shots she takes one shot with him and then the second shot she throws it over her shoulder and hits some other guy behind her and i was like all right all right okay funny funny good one then in the cab, he's, he's got the afro back on, right? He says, I love fat birds. And he's, yeah. he's um, kissing her. And then it's like a cut to him barfing in the wig. And it's just like one of those barf cuts that goes on forever. And then he's like wiping his face with the wig and looks at her again and like leans over and kisses her like right after the barf. And I was just like, oh, gross. Like, yes. The, the... Like he still has barf on his mouth. <laughs> her. And then he says like, uh, I think he says something like, oh, you know, you got a little bit on you. And this is, this is the interesting thing about the, 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 the glimpse that we see of these characters, of these, these people who she kills, is like there, there will be these little bits of humanity that will shine through, uh-huh. you know? And really, okay, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking, I'm going here on the fly. Are you in so love with he, DJ Dan? What? <laughs> I said, are you in love with DJ Dan? No, not at all. When oh. he barked in that wig, I could relate. <laughs> I could think back to a couple of moments. Yeah. Like, no. Okay. Um, and obviously, you know, a lot of times characters are caricatures of humanity because they're they're there to advance the plot but here's so then with these characters here's this whole idea of kind of whether people are good or bad yeah right? and this idea of being of being good or not being good is really present in in rachel's letter um and it goes back to the the um couple of snippets from from the article that, yeah. I, that I started at the beginning. <clears throat> Just this notion of who we are supposed to be. I mean, literally, you know, whether these feelings are associated with being a mother or just being a person in the world who has responsibilities and is trying to be the best kind of human that you can be. Yeah. Um, this constant question, am I, was I more good than bad today? I think 
I'm only going to claim this for myself, although I will say that probably most human beings, a lot of human beings walk through their day with this silent question in their head, was I more good than bad today? Mm -hmm. And then like, what the hell is good? What the hell is bad? So much of that, of, of those of that it comes from information that we get from other people and quite frankly if if you know you, if if your boundaries aren't decent and um other people are are exerting their own particular strong force yes it can be really yes. and it can be really easy to conclude you were more more of a bad human in a given day simply based on on other people and and their reactions which is really a lot of their bullshit i mean we're all just giving each other um whether we mean to or not our our own bullshit and then think of that applied to you're a new mother you literally have a new person growing inside you yeah you are you are particularly concerned about whether you're doing the right things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the the really the really big question in this uh letter is am I horrible for thinking these things? And there is a difference. There's a distinct difference between thinking and doing and thinking and acting upon things. And that is largely where the line between um, uh, postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis goes. Like someone with postpartum depression may be hearing thoughts about or, or uh, hearing thoughts, I'm a bad mother, I'm not good enough, I haven't done this or that. And, and then postpartum psychosis can get into, I am believing these thoughts, that I am a bad mother, that I will not be able to bring up my child in any way that is, um, you know, a moral or good, right? And... Let me tell you, uh, Rachel and everyone else out there, you're going to have thoughts of, uh, this is really hard to say, but there's there's going to be thoughts where what happens if I drop this kid and you see things in your mind's eye that won't happen. And let me, I dropped my little girl and it was because I fell asleep while I was holding her. She, she was swaddled up. So all of her, her arms and legs were all secure and I was holding her on my chest so that she could sleep. And my arm fell when I went to sleep and she rolled off. She was fine. She cried when she hit the ground. She didn't hit her head. She just she just kind of flipped off. But that, and then of course I beat myself up about it. I didn't tell my husband about it for months because like what if I mess my little girl? 
she's fine. She's like her teacher is like, yeah, she does everything early. She crawls early. She's like saying things early. She, you know, she's doing things. And I'm like, oh God, I didn't screw her up. And you're gonna, you're gonna screw things up. You're going to do things wrong. But there's a difference between, oh, I left my kid's diaper on too long and they got diaper rash one time and oh I think my kid is talking to me and telling me to kill somebody like those are two very separate things the diaper rash you can kill yourself with the guilt over diaper rash or you can say it happens we'll put the diaper cream on them and do better tomorrow. And I do think I I love the fact that you called out. And I mean this this is this is just this this is reality. Our human psyches give us this entire range of of responses that that um that on on let's just say the lower end is the the garden variety guilt about just about anything that <laughs> yeah. can tear, they can do a fine job of tearing you up yeah all the way to i mean literal psychosis literal psychosis and everything in between i mean i am going to be i i i, I don't have children um I have had situations um, where I literally have been um, so angry with people <laughs> that I, I have thought things I am not proud of. Yeah. I am not proud of. And now, I mean, I, I will tell you this, I do have, I, I do, I do struggle with you know, depression and I do mm -hmm. have a mood disorder. And so I'm, and I'm, I'm quite sensitive and I'm introverted and I'm just like all these things, you know, maybe make me a little bit more prone to kind of go into the extreme in my thoughts. Sometimes it doesn't happen a lot, but I've definitely had, I've definitely had extreme thoughts, which were, you know, beyond what, they were beyond the proportion of the situation. And I think we, we all, I, I think we have all had those. So had those. what's really important, I think, to call out right now is that in, in all of life, uh, whether you are, have just had a child or whether you are struggling with depression or whether COVID has just made you a little blue or you know, you're know you in extenuating circumstances or not, or like just life is getting on top of you, that talking to someone and saying, these are my thoughts, that is entirely different than acting something out. Yes. And a therapist 
and like I highly suggest that anyone who is going through things, uh, feelings and thoughts that are overwhelming, contact a therapist, contact some sort of, um, contact your, if you have a primary care physician, contact them. If you don't have a contact um, at a primary care doctor, talk to someone at an urgent care center where you can say, these are my thoughts and you're not going to get in trouble for your thoughts. You are not. And think about it like every, but like when most people have these thoughts, yeah, there are very few people who act, who act upon them, who are actually murderers, who are, you know, um, clinically diagnosed psychopaths, sociopaths, yeah. and you know, full empathy, full empathy for those for 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 those individuals as well. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I, I feel like I said like, oh, I just said I'm empathetic toward murders. You know, um, people can be born into very certain similar circumstances someone becomes a one of those people becomes a criminal maybe even a murderer maybe even a serial murderer another does not what in the hell um is is the dividing line and i do i do have i do have a certain amount of empathy because um their lives were not intended to be that way. And there are people who do very, very horrible things. And I wish they had the opportunity to, to not do those things. Um, I'm going kind of far, far afield here. No, I I think that it's really important. And I, I think that our ability to clarify here, because what we see in the characters in this story is we see a bunch a bunch of people who are like shitty people in their real lives right the pet shop owner dj dan ella harding who uh is kate dickey or lisa aaron from game of thrones um you know, she's the the woman who's still breastfeeding her son at nine years old in great in games of throne <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, so uh, she's she's just a wonderful shitty character, you know. And she um, Ruth is still able to kill her. Like, oh, you know, you're working here by yourself. You don't want to hire me because I'm pregnant. Blah blah blah. Right. These people are the ones that she takes out first because they're the bad characters, right? And then we meet the uh, climbing instructor uh, who is Kayvon Novak, who is one of the vampires in What We Do in the Shadows. And I, it took me forever to figure out who he was in the TV show, not the movie. Okay, I was just gonna ask because I don't, I haven't seen the TV show. I've only seen the movie. I'm like, don't get me started. <laughs> if you have not, okay, just random fine, dear final girl recommendation. If you have not seen what we do in the shadows, 
either the movie or the TV series, you are seriously missing out because there really is absolutely nothing like it. It is phenomenal. The the TV show the TV show is all I've seen. I need to make time for the movie. Um, but yes, yeah, so so the climbing instructor is um, he's like I won't teach you. You're pregnant. Like I can't. Uh, it, it's not good. I can't. And he also like sees her. He understands. He knows who she is. He recognizes her. And there's something about like you see the recognition there. And so when he starts to like demure and say like no no no, then she kind of gets angry. Um, and that's the point where you see she's not the good guy in this. I mean, she hasn't been the good guy in this the whole time. But when that's the first time that you really see, I think, that this isn't as good as she thinks it is. And we also see her fighting with the baby outside. Wait, what's the fighting with the baby outside? What do you mean? They're in, like, the tunnel, and she looks like she's going into labor and the baby's like go back and do it you're a wimp or whatever like that and uh she's like no i won't do it i won't do it like i can't do it because he has already said like yeah uh i can't do this i've got another uh another person <laughs> the 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 cat tail that just walked by is fantastic um hello oh a cat butthole thank you <laughs> thank you lord um because i'm not an entirely good person <laughs> i made i made that happen so the thing about oh my gosh i have so many thoughts here so you backing up a little bit you talked about like sean of the dead mm-hmm and this movie is is positioned as a horror comedy and i'm telling you without a, a, a scant few lines of dialogue this is not a horror comedy this is just yes a very disturbing film <laughs> yes um now it's the when 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 her her unborn baby is speaking throughout this there's the kind of maybe the horror comedy that come like the nervous laughter variety of comedy uh -huh. like oh <laughs> uh, this is creepy but you know there's really just a few lines of dialogue that even put this in the horror comedy realm mm -hmm. and then i think this kind of ties back to the fact that you know the oh the beginning of this movie is so shocking the end of this movie is so shocking both you know the bookends just kind of have you reeling and really processing exactly exactly what you've seen and this whole notion of like ruth and whether she's getting these glimpses of like whether she's a, you know like a, a good person or not so <clears throat> i think the there's a character in this film who's a bit of a mirror for that and it's this um this nurse so yes so ruth has these check-ins with this nurse uh-huh and 
One of the things that's, so in, in all of these check-ins, check you know, you see Ruth revealing all of her, and this is, this is, you know, reminding me of the letter again, Ruth, you know, revealing anxieties yep. about being a mother, about being a single mother. <clears throat> now, of course, she's also revealing without it being clear to the nurse, like, oh yeah, like this baby's very articulate. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. And we should definitely like pretty soon get into some of these specific <laughs> monologues that mm -hmm. her baby lays on her. But like there's the shadow that is, is hanging over all of these interactions that Ruth has with this nurse. Cause there's like constantly this threat that like social services is going to be called. Yes. Right. Yes. So Ruth, Ruth is is dealing with a significant grief. Grief. She is pregnant. She is now going to be a single mother. And it's sort of almost like, gosh, you know, in an environment where you would want to be really open and honest about how you're feeling, you don't want to be. Right. Because the slightest thing that Ruth says, you know, it could be like, it could get her like this undue attention from social services. She's worried about the baby being taken away from her. That basically this is how this kind of system works. You come into it and they're just looking for a reason to find you an unfit mother and take your baby away from you. Yeah. And so the nurse ends up being... I think she, I, for me, I found her like, like on the whole, a sympathetic, pathetic character. Basically, her heart was in yeah. the right place, but it was a kind of a fraught relationship at a time where, like, you don't, you don't want a fraught relationship there. You want someone that you could speak as as a new mother who's also going to be a single mother and a widow that you could speak openly and honestly with. And she, you know, she really can't with this woman. So I think that in in the world of in the world of film, where everything has been exaggerated and elevated, and is a you know, if real life is at level one, this is at level ten. I think what this does capture is our letter writer Rachel's fears and the inability to discuss those fears with medical professionals who are working in your best interest, but who also have divided loyalties. So their loyalties are both to you, but also to, you know, quote unquote, public health, which would be social services. And right. so in, in this case, what we know is that if Ruth were to speak to this nurse openly and honestly about what this baby was saying to her, Ruth would be able to get the help that she needed. But Ruth at every turn says either uh, cloaks these things 
And even when she asks for help, this baby is very articulate. She knows what she wants. She's not being direct in saying, this baby is talking to me and telling me to kill people. And so what I think the lesson there, if there's a lesson at all, the lesson there is that we have to be, we have to trust that the the medical community is going to be on our side and that with these scary thoughts that are just thoughts because like there have been times where I have imagined okay what happens if that kid grabs the knife off of the counter and goes in and I go into the seven steps that happen plus me getting taken to jail because my kid has grabbed a knife off the counter and done something. And again, those are just thoughts, but when thought and feeling and guilt and um, rumination turn that into a something that you can't, can no longer ignore, and something that you can't say, that's just a thought, but it's not reality, then it becomes dangerous. And it can become something that takes on a life of its own. But just speaking these things to other people. What happens if my kid grabs the knife and falls off the counter? Well, okay. What does happen? Like talking with a therapist or a medical professional who can bring you through that is the way that you short, like, yeah, yeah, uh, short circuit it, you know, that you can get through that rumination and find an actual find an actual, not necessarily cure, but a, a resolution to these thoughts that may feel too big to even look at. Sometimes these thoughts that feel too big to even look at because they're huge and scary, uh, you have to talk out with somebody else. Yeah, and it, like, I think, like, this thing that's emerging is vulnerability and safety. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Number one is acceptance. Like, the, and this is where I, like, I really appreciate, like, here, here's something really important about horror and horror comedy. Is that it just, like puts in these really extreme, it, it, it amplifies like all of our thoughts and fears. Right, um, right. And I think that sometimes like, God, you know, if you're struggling and if you're having some thoughts that you feel like these thoughts are, I'm like, they're not acceptable to me. I'm really struggling with the fact that I'm even having these thoughts. You know what? If you're listening to this, you know, you're probably a horror fan. Think of yourself as being in a horror movie. Like what you are experiencing are are amplified, they're amplified thoughts. They hmm. are the extreme of what your mind will let you experience because 
you are in pain. Right. You are under stress. And the, the mind has to have some place that it can safely go. Okay. So just like, man, you know, like if, if, if you're going to have amplified thoughts anyway, and, and a, a degree of them are projection and not based on what's actually happened, then you know what? Have some fun with it. Think of yourself as sort of in this in this script and you're this character. Ooh. And things are just playing out the way that they're going to play out. Well, also in that, do you want to go to the attic or do you want to go out the front door? Right. And I think that that, like the other part of vulnerability is also no, number one, acceptance, right? Just this term has been used a lot, but my God, like every time I get myself really wrapped up in a situation, if I can remember this idea of radical acceptance, I mean, is that Tara Brock? Excuse me. (laughs) Is that that? Tara Brock, the radical acceptance? I mean, yeah, like, you know, go for it, go for it, right? So there's, there's, it is Tara Brock, sorry. It's like, first is the radical acceptance. Second is, it is perfectly acceptable for each of us to determine and to assess who it is safe for us to be vulnerable with and who it is not. Because you cannot, you cannot be vulnerable with everybody out there. No. Because your stuff comes up against their stuff and whether they want to or mean to or not, there are people out there who will use your vulnerability against you. So it's finding those safe places and those safe people that you can be vulnerable with and also accepting the fact you do not have to be vulnerable with everybody. That is not your job. Yeah. And you cannot be vulnerable with everybody. Not everybody deserves that. And and I'll, and I'll, and I'll flip it and say that, you know what, I don't deserve. I, I've probably been, there is somebody walking the face of the earth who may think about me, I'm not the person they can be safe with. And you know what? That is fine. Yeah. That is fine. Yeah. Find your tribe, pick your people, express your thoughts, you know, to who and how, you know, to who and how is right. And I mean, you like, you, you're really like the inner sense will guide you. Like if you're yeah. feeling like don't express these thoughts, you know what? Don't, don't do it. <laughs> um, So what I think is really important there is the choices that Ruth makes because the next person that she comes across after Ella and the instructor whose name I don't remember is Josh, who she comes into Josh's house Zach, like to meet Zach, but also to um, apply to be a roommate. And Josh is this super nice guy 
who loves kids and he like makes her try anchovies but is so much fun about it so like she is vulnerable with him and she is um happy being around him he's a very nice guy and then zach walks in sees her recognizes her she kills him and then immediately has to kill zach and she obviously feels guilty about this and the baby says to her, he's a sop, a hipster. You regret it. Like, you you weakling. You're, you regret killing this guy, even though he's, you know, he's just collateral damage. That sort of thing. And she says to the baby, I'm the mother. I'm in control, which is a repeat of what the nurse says. You're the mother. You're in control. You've got this. And I think that that's really important because very shortly after that, Tom is the instructor's name. Tom is the climbing instructor's name. He knows who she is. And, and then they, because they, they end up having multiple encounters. Yes. And like, you know, I gotta, I gotta say, if you this this is where like we're we're all a combination of good things good, good outcomes and bad outcomes right good decisions and bad decisions i mean tom if you are a climbing instructor and you have put your charges in a if if you have led a situation where ultimately to save six people, you have to kill the seventh person. Mm -hmm. You have to, you, no, you, that's not good. <laughs> you, you have acted in a flawed manner. <laughs> it seems like uh, an insurance problem. Well, I mean, more than that, just like, how <laughs> did you, like that, you, like, no, you are not in control. Right of a situation in which seven other human beings trusted you with their lives. Right. And, and also there's, because she's had multiple interactions with Tom, this climbing instructor, we get to see more about him. We get to see the multi-dimensionality mm -hmm. um, that he, like he's a thoughtful person. Yeah. A thoughtful person, you do sense he has remorse. And you know what, can Tom, safely express his remorse to the fullest ability given that he's been in a legal proceeding yeah no, he can't does that make him a bad person no um you know it's it's um also his wife and or girlfriend is pregnant yes and so I think that Tom feels a lot of empathy for Ruth. Um, and he wants to make things better. He wants to have deep conversations with her about her grief and about his own grief. But Ruth won't allow that because she's so angry. Yeah. And um, really quickly... Len, who is the person that, so, okay. In, in the order of deaths, we have Pet Shop Guy, DJ Dan, 
Ella Harding, who is Game of Thrones' Lysa Aaron, uh, Josh and Zach, excuse me, Zach and then Josh, right? And then she goes to meet Tom again, doesn't kill him. The fact that she doesn't kill him and she sees him three times is really interesting to me. But then the next person that she meets is Len, whose the actress's name is Gemma Whalen, who is Yara Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. Um, This woman is fantastic, and I love her character because she just fights back over and over. She, like, she gets an oar and uh, punches it in Ruth's stomach, and then... When Ruth goes back into the room to fight with her, she's got fucking boxing gloves on. And of course, Ruth is laughing like, what are you going to do with those? And gets punched in the nose over and over and over again. Of course, eventually she punches uh, Ruth in the stomach, which is like, if you're going to get a pregnant woman to stop fucking with you, punch her in the stomach, right? Um mm-hmm. That's that's not great advice. Why would I say that? Um, <laughs> you never know. Right, right. A homicide, specifically a homicidal pregnant woman. Um, and then Ruth, of course, stabs her back. And this was one of the like key comedic moments when she's like, just breathe. She's giving her like Lamaze, yeah. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Um, and then also the comedic moments kind of um stack on top of one another right here because then she hears the sirens and we get the callback to when the nurse told her that high-pitched noises will make her lactate so the sirens are making her lactate and then she can't get out the door and so she has to go out through the doggy door and then dogs are being an assholes to her trying to get out the door and like she does (laughs) escape as we knew she would, right? But it's also like, this is getting to the point where it's no longer fun for her. Right, right. And I, I will tell you that when you, <laughs> you know, as we've talking, as we've been talking about like, you know, when am I good? When am I bad? How good am I? How bad am I? What's, you know, when, what, how many days in a row do I win on the side if I was a good human today? Right. I absolutely love the character. Was her name Lynn? The fitness? Yeah. The fitness, <laughs> All right. I loved her because um, this woman was very clear. So, so Ruth comes to Lynn's store under the guise of being with a charitable organization. Yeah. <laughs> you know, talking to her about the importance of like children's causes mm-hmm. and soliciting a donation. Lynn is just like, from the very beginning, I don't have time. I give to charities, whether it's true or not, whatever. I yeah. give. This scenario is not important to me. Yep. 
you now now society may judge oh no okay what you're supposed to do in that situation is listen to the spiel hell no no you're not you're yeah, supposed to say get off my front right. porch <laughs> right right you're not you're not but the implication is right 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 yeah <clears throat> you have to deliver a certain amount of polite yeah before you dismiss this person from your door and your life right and i absolutely loved it from the very beginning she's like yeah not interested now and i have been in situations where people wanted me very much we, we all have been in this someone wants you very much to be interested yeah. In in something that is a good cause, a good thing, why wouldn't you care? Why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you just at least listen? Right? And you know what? I'm here to say none of us are under any obligation um, yeah. to, to, to show up that way in these situations because um, we're just not. Because it could get you killed. As... as... Uh, the ladies from my favorite murder say fuck politeness because people take advantage of politeness to um, to put you in a situation that could be dangerous yeah so it's easily a situation you could be taken advantage of and I have to say like in the south so like okay. I'm I mean I'm a southerner I don't normally, like, I don't really identify that way, but I was born in the South. Right. I don't really identify as a Southerner. Where you are, like, you're you're not a Southerner. Listen, I was born in Texas. <clears throat> that's not, to me, that's not, that's not <laughs> its own thing. It's just, Texas and Florida <laughs> are their own things, even if they're technically. Watch out, you're going to, you're going to anger the Republic. Here. <laughs> yeah. So, if if I can, because I'm just you know always one you know breath away from mentioning Joe Bar Briggs. Go um, on. The, <laughs> so last Friday there was the Joe Bob put a spell on you uh -huh. uh, Valentine special on Shudder, <laughs> uh, and he showed Tammy and the T Rex and the Love Witch. And in the episode for the Love Witch, he talked about like this culture of niceness that pervades the South. Yep. And <clears throat> so it's really interesting, right? Because I, that's definitely true. And I think that anybody who comes here from a different part of the country will definitely see this. And I spoke to someone recently who's originally from Australia um, and is, who, has listen, who has lived in various parts of the United States. And it's just talked about like Southerners are so polite, like polite, mm -hmm. polite, polite, and can be polite to a fault, to an absolute fault. Um, I don't even know where I'm going. I get linking it back to the So film. can I, can I... Yes, please. There was Save something that go was. Save me for myself, Shamrock. Yeah. So there was something going around Twitter recently that I thought was really interesting. It's not the first time it's gone around, but 
the difference of being nice versus being kind. And Southerners are nice, but they're not kind. And people from the Northwest and often from the Northeast are kind, but not nice. Nice is defined as being pleasable, pleasing, agreeable, and delightful. So like, oh, bless your heart when you mean, oh, yes. fuck that bee. Yeah, right? which really, bless your heart means like, you're such a dumbass. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> kind is defined as having, showing, or proceeding from benevolence. So you want good things for other people. You may not be nice to them, but you're, you want good things for them. So you're going to give them what they need, not what they want. And I am going to apply that in so many different ways that I cannot possibly articulate. Yes. So can I just follow that up with Brene's Brene Brown's clear is kind, unclear is unkind. She doesn't say clear is nice, which is pleasing and agreeable and delightful. She clear is kind it's it's benevolent it is trying to help other people uh in a good way it's not just bless your heart um yeah absolutely and like probably if i googled brene brown clear as kind i would find all kinds of stuff oh yeah yeah I think that's a good, that's a really good call out for this episode. Um, so, so it makes me, so. <laughs> and, and an hour and 20 minutes in. <laughs> yeah, this is actually a long, a longer episode for us. So yeah. there are, one thing I'll just kind of say in passing, there are just tremendous you know, kind of, kind of, uh, the, the, the dialogue in this film is tremendous. Um, whether it's coming from Ruth, I think some of the best lines either come from Ruth or her nurse or the baby. Yep. Who are yeah. the three, like, real characters in this movie, right? Yeah. And do, do you see those as, as the three? I do. Like... And, and the climbing guy. The climbing guy. Oh, right, right. I, I, Tom. I would include him as well. Yeah. Yeah. He... Because he... Like, they all have repeat appearances. Everybody else is kind of, like, episodic. And there's a lot of... There's a lot of... Whether it is the nurse speaking or Ruth or the baby... There's a lot of mixed messages, and this goes back to the letter of, like, who is in control here? And sort of, like, who has the right to be in control? Whose thoughts are the most valid? You know, there's a lot of just conflicting, a lot of, a a lot of, a a lot, I don't even call it conflicting because they're co, it's co-occurring, right? Yeah. It's not conflicting. Um... The, 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 the thoughts and the feeling, the authentic thoughts and feelings of a human person who happens to be a woman, who happens to be someone who is about to be a mother. And the nurse's perspective and the, 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 the sound bites from the baby. Mm-hmm. 
it's all legit and it's all real and it is all you know unfortunately to be grappled with and managed right yeah absolutely and to the question from the letter am i already messing up this parenting thing before the baby sees the light of day no that is like that is my emphatic no and my emphatic no doesn't just say no not right now i mean unless you're going out and doing cocaine every night and drinking a 12th pack of beer like maybe then yeah but just having these thoughts and these concerns that actually makes you a good parent that like you are concerned about the well-being of your child and how you are going to affect that child that makes you a good parent that doesn't make you a bad parent um the and you better you better damn well consider yourself you better damn well do it yeah and this is whether you're a parent or you are in a relationship with any other human being if you are not considering yourself you are doing yourself a disservice yeah. and you're ultimately you're gonna do the kind of disservice to others that you're so desperately trying to prevent. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's go back to the letter really quick because I want to quickly answer these questions. Yes. Um, will the ability to do what I want when I want be suspended and wholly dependent on feeding schedules and diaper changes? Yeah, for a little while. And then your partner is going to be able to take over a lot of stuff. And you're, you can hand your kid off to your parents or a babysitter and they'll, the, the kid will be fine. The kid may cry a bunch when the parent or babysitter takes care of them. Doesn't matter. Not your problem. Go out and have a, you know, safe, COVID safe dinner or whatever. Um, it's, the baby's going to be okay. Um. Uh, Will your husband ever look at me the same way after seeing your pudgy everything and eventually watching you birth a human? No, and that's a good thing. Your husband will then also see you as the mother of their child who has seen you grow this child. Like you are growing just as you are growing the child. You are showing your strength and your resilience and that is a very beautiful thing can i ask you one thing real quick because yeah. i think i think that there is there's a really raw question in this uh-huh that that i i i want to ask you to answer as well Ooh. Put, putting you on the spot go on i love it the rawest part of this question is the sexual relationship uh -huh. between a man and a woman uh -huh. after after the child is born and the fact that you know in most situations the father has seen the birth and <laughs> yeah. all the they're not just out there smoking cigars anymore right. so like the rawest part of this question that i hear is will my husband just just see me as as a woman and desire me sexually beyond the fact beyond all of the wonderful things that he will appreciate appreciate about me as a mother 
you know, is, is that gonna, is, am, am I still gonna get that? Do I still get to have that? I don't know your husband, and but if he's worth you staying with, then yes. And he will find you even more attractive. And he will find you even more sexy. I gotta hate the word sexy just because it just makes me feel, ew. Like some people say panties and it makes them like squeamish. The word sexy makes me feel that way. But like, if your husband is worth staying with, he will see your growth as a mother and as a woman and he will find that inherently sexy um just like if he's worth staying with if you got went out and got a graduate degree or you went out and were going like starting a podcast or doing you know starting a blog or you know doing any sort of creative thing if this person is worth staying with they're worth growing with and they find that you growing and becoming a different person growing into yourself is worthwhile yeah, and that's a conversation to have because I've had similar conversations. I've never been a mother, but you know that do you still do you still find me attractive? Mm-hmm. That is a question that comes up <laughs> like can come up at any time for any reason. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with having a very direct conversation around like do like not only asking the partner, do you still find me? The more important important part of that is I want you to still find me mm-hmm. sexy and attractive. This is really important to me. Yeah. And I want to talk about it. And if there is any aspect whatsoever of the fact that we're now parents and not only um, uh, partners, can we please talk about this? Because it's really important because I'm not, I'm not, I am not ready to stop being a sexual being. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, and I keep saying I'm not a mother, I'm not a mother, and I I never wanted kids. But I think that as there's, there's, there's an aging angle to this. Yep. So as you get older, Am I still attractive? Am mm-hmm. I still sexy? There are certain things I still want from my partner, whether, like, I, I just do. And, I mean, there yeah. may very well come the part where where physical factors overcome other factors, and it's just, like, it does become less of a priority or an interest for either or both partners. But it's like keeping those questions, keeping those questions very present mm-hmm. and being able to ask them of one another. Because um, we talked about vulnerability earlier and who, who, can you, who can you be vulnerable with and who can you not. And we, when we partner with someone, we have, we have made a really huge decision 
to, to be our most vulnerable selves with that person. And so it's really important that that continue through all the phases of, of, of our individual lives and the life of the relationship. Right. And I think that what, where this move, what this movie really highlights is the fact that your, you have to be vulnerable with your children. Like you have to be able to say, mommy, mommy messed up. Mommy got upset. She didn't mean it. Mommy, you know, mommy forgot to bring diapers or whatever. You know, you got to be vulnerable with your children and say like, I'm not perfect and I don't expect you to be perfect either. What this really doesn't, or what this really highlights is that your vulnerability with your child is going to be at a different level than the vulnerability with your partner. And so if your partner is not there, you cannot put that on your kid and make your kid responsible or reactive to your vulnerability. And I think that that's really where Ruth goes wrong is that she tries to get the child I'm I'm doing air quotes but she tries to get the child to be responsible for all of this and all of the thoughts and feelings that she had that she would maybe talk about with a partner but then the partner isn't there so then she's like well the baby is a is a real live human and it's like no the baby is unformed the baby doesn't have a personality yet. It doesn't have thoughts yet. It doesn't have a moral center yet. And so you can't put that on the child. Um, that is an excellent point. Like the, the amount of projection. There's so many expectations that the child has that are projected onto it. Yeah. Him or her. That, I mean, that shit just doesn't formulate. I mean, you it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, <laughs> yeah. feed the kid. Right. Feed the kid. Number one, feed the kid. And be um, a clear and emotional, a clearly emotional presence for that child. A source of safety and security. Yeah. And, you know, that's all that kid, that's all that kid needs from you. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, the, the physical needs are the most important. Yeah. You are, as a new mother, you're, and, and, and as a new father, yeah. you're absolutely and naturally going to provide those things. You don't even have to think about them. Right. So, gosh, I mean... I, here we are at the end of the episode, and I feel like here comes Maslow's hierarchy. <laughs> yeah. you, you are you you are the most immediate needs of your child. Yeah, that you have to meet are not of them as an eighteen year old. It's like feed them. Yeah, clothe them. Uh -huh. Keep them warm and safe, and uh -huh. you are good to go. Right, good to go. And to to go back, to circle back and kind of uh, answer some of these other questions flat out, 
Will my family and friends stop caring about me? No. Will it feel sometimes like they only care for your child? Sometimes, but it's going to be okay because it, because you're going to feel like you're going to be able to see the love that they feel for your kid and you understand, like they're going to feel a small fraction of the love that you feel from your kid and your own love for your kid is going to just feel gigantic in comparison to what they see so like it's going to be a wonderful experience to see your child through these other people's eyes um, are you horrible for thinking these things absolutely not the difference is act thinking versus acting uh, will this kid be as self-centered and horrible as you I don't think you're self-centered and horrible and Time will tell. <laughs> this is not awful. <laughs> no, like there's, there's still unrecognized. There is only so much of this child that you are responsible for. Yeah. Because part of all of us being a being is our own experiences, how we process them, how we interpret them. Right. And I mean, it, it's easy to say, but. Well, you that's the thing. Part, you got part of this, and part of this absolutely doesn't belong to you, no, no matter how much you feel responsible for it. Yeah. I mean, okay. The last question is, am I already messing up this parenting thing before the baby sees the light of day? No. The fact that you are concerned about these things makes you, means that right now you're a good parent. You're thinking ahead. You're trying to... And, and it has something to do with the same like wheels of anxiety that we're all spinning on these days. You have very little control over what your child is going to come out being, what your birth experience is going to be like, what your, um, what your child's personality is going to be like. We... Fuck, we're living in this total situation of zero control with COVID right now. Like, all we can do is stay inside. And then, I mean, I had a pandemic baby in June of 2020. I had to go to the hospital, the last place anyone wants to be in a pandemic, <laughs> and have a baby. The last thing any anybody wants to do in a pandemic. And... Wow. It's going to be okay. They do this every day. Um, you're doing a good job because you're asking these questions. Absolutely. You, you would not, you would not even, you would not even be asking these questions if you are not already equipped right. to, be, to be the best possible parent that you can be. Well, that's the thing. Ruth was not asking these questions. Well, we don't know. That's the thing about movies, right? We, mm. we don't know. We don't know that she wasn't. We know that her, I mean, I feel like we can attribute to her grief and her confusion and the fact that she was thrown into a situation where she was going to be a single parent, where she never expected to be. Right. Um, 
we can attribute a, there's there's just a lot going on yeah um i kind of lost my train of thought but uh yeah Help well yeah i i think i think your point was that like for all of the inner monologue that we hear from Ruth with the baby, we don't actually hear Ruth's inner monologue. We don't hear what she's saying. We hear what she actually says out loud to the baby and what the baby says to her. And so that's a really good point that the baby's dialogue, we think that it's her inner monologue, but it's not. We don't know what she's saying. Let me ask you this. At any point during your pregnancies, did you feel a voice that felt like it was coming from the baby? No. Do you think that... Now, and, and that's like, that's fine, right? Right. If a person, if, if, if a want, if a, if a, um, female who was pregnant was feeling like the baby was speaking to her, would that necessarily be cause for concern? I think it depends on how... I, I am not the type of person who was talking to the baby or putting, you know, I would talk to myself because I'm, I'm a self talker often to break rumination. Um, but I would, I think that it depends on the, how scary those conversations get. If you start getting scared, yeah. like how, how connected you feel with your body and how, like, um, yeah. If you start getting scared by the conversations you're having with your, like, also I'm of the belief that until the baby is viable on their own and uh, honestly even until they come out of your body they don't really have much consciousness right consciousness we don't know when consciousness starts and we don't know these things and so i was that's a lie. I was talking to my baby when she yeah. wouldn't flip the fuck over so that I could have her uh, easily in a vaginal birth. And I didn't want to have to have a C-section during COVID. And my baby was breech up until she, like they manually flipped her. And I was like, come on, baby. Come on, turn over. You know, you, you need to turn over. But she was not talking back to me. That's, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's really, but I don't know. Like, that's a thing. Like I, that's a, that's a personal experience. People may feel that their child is speaking to them, maybe not in words, but in other ways. And, and this goes back to the vulnerability thing. Find, absolutely find the people who you can candidly express 
your experience with, and it doesn't matter who those people are. Right. I mean, it can be extremely helpful if at least one of those persons is in one of these authoritative positions, like a doctor. Yes, that can be helpful. But but you, I'm you will have someone. I hope you will have someone who you can express the more the the thoughts that trouble you the most. Right. And I like I feel like this episode is sort of like back end loaded, and I'll probably <laughs> be like, hey, you know, like hang in there. Right. There's a We're at an hour and forty three minutes, but yeah. you know. There's a lot of meat at the end. So I can say, like, I I never wanted to have children. Mm-hmm. And I am I am not a parent. And and at, at the, you know, tender age of soon to be 49, I'm not <laughs> likely to be. Um, There's still a chance. Yeah. But there was, there, I did have a period where, on the same day, I found out that I was pregnant and that the, the, the pregnancy was likely not viable. Uh-huh. And I, would, I would not find out for sure for a period of a number of weeks. Uh-huh. And even though I had not planned to be pregnant and I, I had never planned to be a parent, during those weeks where I was waiting to find out whether there was actually something still grow, a life still growing inside me or right. not, I was so dedicated. <laughs> I was so incredibly dedicated to creating the most viable environment mm-hmm. for that life that I could, and that if I if if I could provide that environment, and if it was in the cards that I wanted to provide an environment where that growing life could continue to develop, to develop and, and go on to be a life. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at that time I was at a job where I, w- I was at a job that was very stressful and I literally, there was literally someone at that job who I just felt like who was hazing me, mm. you know, in, in, in just like on an ongoing way. And I remember feeling like I already knew that it was very likely that, that the, the pregnancy was not viable. Yeah. But that every fiber of my being had it ever not, had I ever not this, thought this way before I was going to create an environment that was going to protect that being and its potential to be from all of that other bullshit that was happening Mm -hmm. and that by God nothing that that anybody was doing to me or saying to me was going to be a factor in whether that life was going to be or not be and that was extremely important to me yeah and i think that that is like i I mean i don't i'm not trying to like i just want to say that whether you plan to be a mother or not that there is this something that kicks in that makes you want to be a protective force for something that is just growing inside you and that you 
you want to protect it and love it and just be the fullest of yourself that you can be at the earliest point that you know that you're that presence. And that's like, that's a wonderful thing. And, And that also kicks off all the anxiety and the worry and the, Am I going to be yep. good enough? Mm-hmm. It just, it can, it's, it's amazing how quickly that kicks in. That biological oh response. Yeah. yeah. Powerful. Very yeah. powerful. Yeah. And natural. And it makes you do. It's natural. It makes you do weird things like give up drinking. And, and part of that is the morning sickness. I think morning sickness makes people give up drinking real fast. Um <laughs> And, but I I agree with you that there's something, there's something about being around a child, whether you're growing that child yourself or you've adopted the child or you're fostering the kid, being around the child. Great call out. Thank you. Great call out. Well, being around children, like the daycare teachers and my, my personal experience when I was a high school teacher, you know, before ever having children like being around children a lot makes you feel protective over those children and that's just a like a sociological biological thing that our bodies do um that protects us as a species right and so in the movie she takes that to the extreme in real life you have to you have to still like understand what is the extreme here you have you have to okay so if they tell you to eat well what is eating well they tell you to exercise what what is an acceptable level of exercise and you're like what is that as a single person i'm struggling with eating well And exercising as a human whose only real physical existence I'm responsible for is my own. And I'm like, you know, fuck this, fuck that. I'm trying to really (laughs) hold things in my body. I don't even have to really care for anybody else. Right. Oh, goodness. Okay, so that yawn, I think, means that we need to wrap it up. Our time has come to a close. Any, yes. any parting thoughts? And, and, and like, let's bring it back to the letter. Um, You're not the worst that. mother ever. You're not oh. the worst mother ever. You're thinking, yeah. you're thinking things that everybody thinks. And these worries, these concerns are things that everybody is worried and concerned about. And the... Talk, talk with your partner... One, if you don't have a partner, talk with a trusted family member or friend or therapist or somebody who can give you perspective on these things. Um, Your kid's not going to be awful. They're always going to be wonderful to you. And maybe that's the thing that you have to be worried about is how wonderful that they are to you, Um, even when they're assholes. (laughs) Because, I mean, like, if you're worried about being an asshole right now, guess what? They're going to be. Oh, yeah. A kid's a kid's natural tendency is to be a total dick. And, like, your, my son the other day, 
I want to show you. I, I don't know if you can see this. Whatever. My son the other day, just like, hey, uh, next book we're reading at story time, chucked a book at my face, fucking bloodied my lip, and I was just... And what a funny kid, because if he hurts me, so like, sometimes he'll knock Max in the nuts or smack me in the face, and you're like, ow, that really hurts. And he'll go, hi, hi. And it's like, nobody, don't say hi. Say, I'm sorry. <laughs> hi, hi. He doesn't, he like, he tries to cheer you up with that like happy hi He's thing. trying to make you feel better. I know, it's very cute also. <laughs> and then we teach the language of if you want someone, to know that you want them to feel better, these are the kinds of things that you say. Right. <laughs> and this goes back to that whole being nice versus being kind. Yeah. You know, it really, it really, really does. So I, you know, there's so many, um, so much to so talk many, about. Yeah, and there's so many amazing pieces of dialogue um, between Ruth and her baby in this film and like I, I you know what I hope we established early on but we'll try to do through the tweet support is that like look whether you're an expectant this is not an episode just for expectant mothers uh -huh. whether you are an expectant mother whether you want to be a mother whether you never wanted to be a mother at all or whether you are simply someone who is like look society sends me messages I send myself messages. I've got a running dialogue in my uh -huh. brain all day long that is trying to tell me right, wrong, right, wrong. This episode is absolutely for you. Yes. Um, and, and it's a fantastic film. It, like, be prepared to be truly disturbed. Yes. By this film. And that is an amazing thing. And, and Alice Lowe was pregnant. While she was pregnant, while she was she, she was writing, directing, filming this. You know, there was a moment early on where I was like, is that, is that, what, she's really pregnant. Like, that's not a prosthetic. Like, she, she she's like she changing yeah. clothes, whatever, and you kind of see her looking to the side. And I was like, oh, no, that's not a prosthetic. Because um, you can kind of tell with the prosthetics, they look weird. Um, yeah. And then I was like. I had to Google it. Also, her boobs were like big. And they just looked pregnant on top of her belly. And I was like, at one point I was like, ooh, she's wearing a good bra for being pregnant. And I was like, oh, right. I haven't worn a bra in like three years. <laughs> I mean, I haven't like, like since we've been on COVID lockdown, I like I've pretty much ceased wearing a bra. And I'm like, I know that over time, that if I don't wear a bra, that gravity is going to do even more of what it's naturally going to do. And you know what? Unless I'm willing to have a boob lift, I mean, you know, I can guarantee that uh, these boobs are going to remain attractive to to my partner. Yeah. Regardless of their GPS position in space. Yeah. I can guarantee they will be. 
I, I actually, so I lied. I haven't worn like an underwire bra, which was like what I lived in for the past 15, 20 years of my life. No, like probably since I started wearing bras, but um, in the last three years, I haven't worn an underwire, but I've, for the past, you know, nine months since Francis has been alive, I uh, have worn a bra 24-7, just like bed, everything, in the shower. <laughs> but never nude now. All right. Um, final girl. Do not, yeah, new moms, new moms, do not despair. Your, your very first obligation is absolutely to yourself that it does not make you selfish. No. Think about the advice we get uh, on airplanes. I love you it. Better, I say this all the time. Yes. You better Go. stay well, put that oxygen mask on yourself first. Yeah. You can't care for anybody unless you're okay. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Um, well, final girl, thank you so much. Uh, for another fantastic episode. Hey, y'all, if you made it this long, rate, review, and subscribe, because everybody says that now. We're not a real podcast if we don't say rate, review, and subscribe, but it really does matter. Um, it does matter. Send us letters at dearfinalgirl at gmail.com. Uh, talk to us on Twitter at finaldear, and stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay alive out there. Yeah. We love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror. But that's all we are. People struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to pr promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat, and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there, too. Take care.